May the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but let us from evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, anyone as usual willing to put on their cameras? Greatly appreciated. Thank you, Anthony. Um, it is just less awkward for my abject self. Thank you. Um, and I also might need to revisit what time I do this because I forgot that basketball has started up again. Um, and um, that's some heavy competition. But um, I delayed um, Dorotheos till next week. I was away uh, in Ottawa for a convention retreat last week. So I didn't have time to prep. And the next two chapters are, in my view, possibly the two most um, important chapters um, of Dorotheos, the first being on judging and the other on um, self-accusation. So I did not want uh, to care with um, or uh, I don't know what that is in English. Uh, I want to do it as justice um, is, is the bottom line. So um, let me put the link to the Q&A again. Um, here, there's already a lot of questions actually, but um, in case you want to upvote or add to them, okay. So I didn't have a chance to pre-read these, so I might um, zoom through them occasionally to kind of um, lump questions together that match together, um, as usually happens, just so that we're like all over the place. And also don't worry about interrupting uh, to follow up on a question um, to um, like if I've answered someone but not another, then feel free to raise your hand. Let me just uh, give you the ability to unmute. All right. So uh, first question, what is the purpose of a priest? Uh, in confession slash repentance. Can God take repentance confession without a priest? If so, then what is the priest's purpose? Um, honestly, I think even the priests sometimes wish they didn't have to confess. Um, and I think that people forget that um, priests are also confessing <laughs> like to priests. Um, I think sometimes the question is framed, I'm not accusing of a rota of thinking this, but I think sometimes people ask this forgetting that it's not like you graduate from confession when you're a priest and you no longer do that. We still do, and it still sucks just as much. Um, and it's also just as relieving, depending on what we make of it. Um, so the priest actually serves multiple functions. Like if confession was only an apology and nothing else, um, I think I could understand um, a little bit more, um, like a bigger debate about whether or not, like, the priest needs to be there or not. Um, but apology is only part of it. And so I'll start off generally by saying God made the sacraments very physical um, and very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Visceral. Um, and I think on purpose, because otherwise it will all feel fake. 
essential people, like our senses need to be engaged, right? Like leave confession for a side. If we talked about communion, right? Theoretically, because it's a mystery, right? We could just be like, put our hands up in the air and go, ta-da, you're communed, right? God, God could have done that, right? If he wanted, he has the power to do that, right? But he made us eat, right? There's something, we understand the visceral aspect of eating. So even in terms of apologies, what I'm saying that is that even in terms of apology, you don't say sorry to people in your head, right? If, if you do, um, I don't know what your friends think of you. <laughs> Um, in the sense of like, if you cussed at your friend and like, whatever, I'll say sorry in my head. Um, like, that's not usually okay. Whereas needing to say it to the person does something. So again, that's where there's some debate. Well, why a priest? We are, you're already expected to say sorry to God in prayer before you come to confession. But that's why I think the other aspects are equally important. One is that, and again, this is assuming that you're only vomiting your sins out to win and not getting guidance but in 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 that scenario is that sin is against a person which is god um but it's also um an injury to your spirit right so it's not just it's not about just professing guilt that's part of it um but part of it is actually about receiving healing and so just like if you are sick, you go to the doctor and there's a remedy, the same thing is happening in the sacrament. And so the issue is not even that Abuna is healing you, right? It's that if we consider this like health model and that the physician is the one who can prescribe legally, um, is that you're seeing the physician to receive the medication. Um, and in this case, I would actually call the priest the pharmacist because um, we never get credit as pharmacists, um, is that the priest is dispensing it's not the priests it doesn't belong to the priest right it belongs to god right but that the dispenser of this grace um is uh the holy orders why god chose priests to do that is your guess is as good as mine i mean we can meditate on it um it's just a system that he set up so that's a big part of it is that there is a dispensing of the medicine the medicine is for the healing because your sin has caused injury. Okay, so it's not just about saying sorry. If it was just saying sorry, we could have that whole debate. Um, the other thing on the side of this that I think is worth like thinking about um, is that even in the Old Testament, there was a work involved. There's a human work involved in this practice, right? So in the Old Testament, um, God wanted very clearly the association between sin and death to be made because death is an immediate result of sin. Not God is saying, I'm going to kill you because you sinned, right? But that disease caused death. And so a person, when they sinned, they would come and they'd have an animal and they put their hand in front of the animal, right? Not in front of it, on top of the animal. <laughs> That'd be a little bit awkward. Um, they would recite their sins and then the animal would die. Obviously, God's not having a barbecue in heaven of all these animals, right? There's nothing going on with them, right? It was showing them that sin caused this. You are the reason for this, right? Not in an angry way, not in a, in a vindictive way, but because it's so easy to forget that. In the same way, think about, think about your, your normal human relationships. When nobody shows that they're offended, for example, 
you could continue to do something so annoying over and over and have no idea. Let's say you joke about somebody's uh, weakness and they give you no reaction. If you keep joking about it, the person is going to be annoyed, but they might not show it. But the minute that they show it, you become aware that your, your speaking did something, right? So the, the slaying of the animal was showing you this immediate direct connection between your sin and death, right? And so the reason I'm bringing that up is that I think people forget that that didn't stop right, is that the animal is dying in place of the human and signifying this relationship between sin and death. But that never ended. The difference now is that it is now put on the one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, right? And so Abuna does take that confession of yours and put it on the true lamb, right, which is also a priestly duty. And so when he transfers it there to the real lamb who's doing the actual forgiving, right, then that's, that's, again, that link. So those are the, the major three things in my mind um, that are going on, that are specifically going on um, in confession. Um, and that, that's why it's important to realize that if it was just an apology, I, I would totally get the debate. But because it's not just that, these things were assigned as a duty for the priest. And as I said at the beginning, I don't think any of us are super excited about hearing it um in terms of it being juicy right like no one's like oh i had a good one um having said that um i sometimes get excited about confession um personally um from my end it's one of my favorite sacraments to administer um because seeing people's healing um seeing people's joy seeing people's release seeing people's relief is extremely comforting um and it also, to be quite honest with you, I think you guys might not realize the other side. It is not uncommon um, for the priest to receive from you when you're confessing. Um, it's not uncommon that you will say something that affects Abuna in a positive way or teaches Abuna something or Abuna gets to see a glimpse of God's work and his grace that was meant for him. It's happened so often. And that's why, like, for me, it's something I happily give a lot of time to because I feel... I feel equally served by a confession. Um, I think sometimes more than the person who's walked out. Um, like I said, any any follow-ups on any particular question, feel free to put your hands up in here and and, uh, and add to it. Um, I see a question near the bottom that's related to confession that I want to bring up. Uh, what expectations, if any, can we have from our spiritual father and how can we have a healthy relationship where we are not too attached um, or get hurt? And I've got to say, every time I hear a question like that, I assume the worst and I assume it's about me um, and that it's about how much I suck. Um, so if it is my sincere apologies <laughs> from the get-go. Um, of course, um, like for the if any, what expectations of any? Yes, of course you have expectations, you're a human. Um, so there's any relationship whether healthy or unhealthy, has expectations. Um, at, at a bare minimum, I think obviously we expect if there's somebody that we've entered a relationship of this nature in, um, I think there's some basic expectations like some form of availability, um, some form of humanity, um, some form of listening. Um, 
I mean, there's, there's a lot that's going on there. I think the problem is not about having expectations. The problem can be about whether they're right expectations, but I think all of that can be resolved, I think, when you're hiring someone, forgive me for the term, to be a spiritual father. Um, where Dorotheos talks about there being a due diligence in getting the, the guidance. And so, and I'm talking about the relationship of a spiritual father, a spiritual guide, not just father confession, right? Father confession, I think, has its own set. Um, I always feel awkward to say this. I did write a booklet on it that I just don't want to repeat everything that's in it about like a differentiation between what's the confession part. Because I think when you're entering a spiritual relationship, if you've done that homework to say, hey, here's who I want to go with, I don't think it's wrong to say what you're hoping for and what you are expecting and the person being able to answer back whether they can or can't and whether your expectations are healthy or not, right? For example, my current father of confession, who is also my spiritual guide, um, until like maybe a couple of years ago, I couldn't have full access to him, right? And with what he's got as his life, I mean, he is a, a very disciplined monastic. Um, and so for me to expect him as a disciplined monastic to suddenly be available on demand would be very unreasonable for me, right? That I can't say, no, I need to be able to, whenever I throw a message at you, get a response from you. I can't, I can't demand that, right? I can ask for that. There's nothing wrong with asking, right? I can say, this is what I was kind of hoping. Do you think you're available for that, right? But there needs to be a freedom of both parties to be themselves, right? Because if I start putting on conditions, right, of being like, well, I think you need to answer me every time I call or every time I say X, you must take it seriously. Well, what happens if you can't, right? Like sincerely can't. Am I going to assess the relationship on that? Right. I'll, I'll give another example. And I, I hate giving these examples because I'm worried that people think that we get upset and I'm, I'm not. It's usually feeling guilty about not being able to meet expectations. But for example, I've been in situations before where somebody would um, be like, if you don't answer, I might kill myself. And so I found that 24 seven, I feel on edge. What if they message? What if they message? What if they message? But I'm also a priest to many people. So I'd be distracted while I'm with people. I'd be sleeping extremely, like, with one eye open, right, with my cell phone on loud, right, which meant the whole night was ting, 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 ting. And every time there was a ting was, oh, no, is it them? Oh, no, is it them? Right? And that wasn't feasible, right? Like, like, like that's just not a feasible way to live, even though I don't think the person was wrong or bad, right, for wanting me to be available to them, right? Like, it wasn't like a how dare you. It was like, this is horrible, this really sucks. But is it a right expectation that Abuna be able to meet that? If there's an Abuna who's able to, excellent, excellent, right? Like I'm not saying that there's a good Abuna and a bad Abuna. It's about respecting the reality of each person and what they can do, right? Obviously I care. So then there might be a discussion about, well, what can we do to keep you protected in the event that I'm not the one who's gonna be able to respond immediately, right? That would be something to discuss. So. I think having a conversation about expectations would be good. Um, but I do think that this age of instant messaging and social media has made this very hard. Because now that people have cell phones, there's an expectation that we're immediate and on demand. 
And I think there's sometimes a forgetting that that's not always possible or necessarily even right, right? For example, if you're given spiritual exercises, imagine if, imagine if you're told, like, do this workout and you message your trainer the next day being like, I didn't get a six pack. And it's like, yeah, you, you, you've only done this for a day, right? That there's, there's, there's also the process of time, right? Like what it's supposed to do, right? So might not even be healthy. So all these are just different examples to say, like have the conversation with expectations um, and that hopefully also your spiritual elder can explain some of that, right? Like I'm not shy to be like, yeah, this is something that I'm not expecting to see a change in a week or two, right? Or having a discussion about when we speak and when, and when we don't and making sure that's there. Because if there's unmet expectations, that gives room for negative feelings, right? It gives room for a lot of negativity. It gives room for doubt in the relationship. When you have negative feelings, you might not be faithful to what was given um, and all of that, um, that can affect your spiritual life in turn. Like it, it's going to spiral, right? So I would just say, open up about it. If you're, if you're not able to open up, to me, there's already kind of a question mark about like the freedom of speech that you, you have with your spiritual father. Right, like that. You should you shouldn't be scared um, to to bring it up. Um, I hope that answered that. Um, I know that the biggest one for a lot of people is availability, and that's why I think there needs to be um, a wholesome evaluation of it, um, of of whether or not the person you're trying to reach is available, and 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 on, from the priest side. And from the other side of whether how often I want them available is also reasonable. I was lucky to grow up with an incredibly accessible priest. Um, and it was pre-cell phone days, um, which made it all the more um, easy. Um, but have expectations, discuss those expectations, and also ask what the expectations are of you in the relationship is the last thing that I add to that. Um, because there are expectations of you as well, right? You have to go to a trainer, right? You have to follow a diet, right? Doctors don't come to your house on demand. You book an appointment. Um, and I think sometimes we expect our spiritual elders and even priests do this sometimes. Like, like it's not just about lay versus clergy. We're all human. Um, that sometimes we forget our own role in things. Um, What would you say is the best answer to the question, if God is so loving and kind, why does he allow people to kill, steal, or do all sorts of sinful deeds? At the risk of sounding like a smart aleck, um, I would respond that the best answer, do if God is loving and kind, etc., I would say it's because God is so loving and kind. That would probably be my answer. Um, in that... God, because he is love, respects freedom, like really respects freedom, right? Like lets us claim he's not our dad, lets us cut him off if we want to, right? Literally let us kill him, right? He, he subjected himself to those, all these very acts um, that people are concerned about, right? And so at the end of the day, 
it's about whether or not you really actually believe in free will. Um, and, and this question might, is mind-blowing to me sometimes. I don't mean it sarcastically. It's a common question. In the sense of so many people would then complain at how dare God force me to do something, right? Like almost everyone's just like, why is he making me do this? Why do I have to do X, Y, and Z? And then they're also asking, why doesn't God force other people to do certain things? Right? So the question to me is like, do you want to be forced or not? Like what's actually going on here? Um, and are you trying to force God to be who he is not? Right? Because God can only be who he is. And he really actually sincerely respects freedom. Um, because the only expression of love that is in your possession is your freedom. The only way you can express a choosing, a valuing, a wanting is through choice, right? And so that's the real issue. The real question is not about God. The real question is about us. Um, uh, why do we not discuss racism in the church? Many people dismiss discrimination and stereotyping that demean others' humanity and it's not Christian-like. Um, I don't know that I can speak for all churches, whether they do or don't discuss racism. I think others might actually uh, say that it's talked about too much, um, just not about the racism that's in your mind, right? For some people, it's about is Islamic tradition and heritage versus Christian. Um, but I think whoever is asking this is probably thinking of the way we currently approach racism, whether about um, Blacks or Hispanics um, or other people of color, Asians, East Asians, um, and all of those. Um, I'm worried that I'm going to sound, I'm always worried that I sound like a jerk. I think it's because on some level I might actually be one. Um, but the, the issue is, to me, is when someone says, why are we not, it sounds more to me, and this person might not be saying that at all, like I'm not accusing you of that, is that there's this tone of, you should do X, Y, and Z, right? And I'm just not big on the church jumping on every, every new current, like in the ocean that is the world, right? Like I asked at a talk recently, how many of you have thought about George Floyd in the last week? And no one did, right? Um, and, I'm, and I'm not... Um, I'm not saying, oh, you, you scumbags, right? And so I think that if we jump on every single thing, like it'll, it'll keep going. Um, and then I think people expect statements about everything, right? And, and, and our statement is the gospel. So in that regard, what I would say is that if racism um, is a big That's issue, my sorry, my watch thinks I'm talking to her. Um, if racism is a big thing, um, in your community, which it really might be. It might be a big thing within your parish, and it might be a big thing in your community, in the social life. And those are things that I do agree that we as a church ought to respond to, right? So for example, let's step away from racism for a second. The big thing I'm dating myself like 15 years ago was the Da Vinci Code when it came out, right? In my view, the church had no reason to put a public statement on a book right? There's no need to. But did Da Vinci Code affect people within um, our own parish? Yeah. 
right? Would it be worth having a lesson in our church about Da Vinci Code? Yeah, right? And whatever effects that it may have. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're not going to talk about racism because everyone talks about it. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, as much as to say, if that's an issue in your community, it should be. Um, and with whatever mechanisms that are within your parish or community to bring it up or ask about it, then I would um, to say, hey, can we talk about it? I think we're affected. One second, because I think there's a message in the private chat about this. Um, got it um, from the person who sent it. Understood. Um, I'll finish it in the way that I had originally understood it, but then definitely we can continue one on one. Um, but if you see racism in your church, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I was always concerned my home parish has a lot of the Eritrean and Ethiopian community, uh, community, right? And so like on my end, I started to wonder after time, are we as concerned about them as souls as we are the ethnic Egyptians, right? Are we looking to make sure that there are servants in our parish that are black, right? That, that, that can connect better than I can to their own community's issues. We're one community as a church, right? But there might actually be culturally specific um, uh, issues that they have in the same way that Egyptians do, right? We joke about them, but they're still culturally relevant. We joke about our parents wanting us to be doctors and engineers and pharmacists and lawyers. Right. We joke about people getting nosy and up each other's business. We are very understanding of what specific cultural issues our own we face as, as second generationers or first or third. We, we, we can relate and and non Egyptians might not be able to relate to that. Right. So the same thing for them. So I do think we need, need to have um, our eyes and ears open to that pulse. Um, and that if we feel that there is something missing, um, that it's brought up as a, as a way of pastoral concern. So I think those are the, those are the two sides of that, that coin to me. Um, and again, anyone who wants to turn the cameras, go ahead, because I feel like I'm staring at Joanne and Anthony. Even though you guys can't see me, I'm constantly staring at the two of you. Um, okay. What is the orthodox stance on masculinity and its facets? Um, I honestly, sincerely, I'm not sure if I understand the question. Um, so if I'm not answering, like, please forgive me. If, if whoever wrote it is on the chat, please feel free to uh, private uh, chat. Um, and I'm thinking of one specific person who's always saying toxic masculinity. And so I wondered if it was uh, a joke from that person. I don't think there's a stance on masculinity. Um, like, I don't think the church has a stance on, on, on a gender um, or the cultural norms, because what, what, what makes up masculinity, in my personal view, is a combo of both nature and nurture. Um, like, I do think there is a social aspect of what it means to be masculine that changes from community to community and country to country and generation to generation. I think that's a real phenomenon. Um, but I also think that it's a fact that males have more testosterone. That's one of the definitions. Um, and that testosterone has actual effects. And so stereotypically, naturally, biologically, men may be more 
leaning towards behaving in a particular way um, that I happen to believe is by design. Um, like, I, I don't think it was by accident that male became male and female became female. I believe that God created that through whatever mechanism he used, it wasn't an accident. Um, and so rather than a stance on masculinity, it can be, I think that the real church, the church's real focus is on male as Christ and woman as church. And the two are four and one and none, none like Christ exists independently, but the existence of one is the existence of the other. And there's no body without a head and a head without a body. Um, like when I'm doing premarital um, talks, for example, to me is like, I like the, the, my healthcare background. I like comparing the central nervous system with the autonomic nervous system, right? That there's, that one is useless without the other. Um, and that each has to inform the other. Um, and so it becomes, what does it mean to be Christ and what does it mean to be church? And, and both are, are really, really, really beautiful. Um, and that's why God assigned rules. Why he assigned each the role, I have no idea. Um, like, sincerely, I don't. When people ask me, why are men priests? I don't know. I really don't know. I just know that God chose this role for this person and this role for this person. Social norms sometimes make us like one gender over another. Like if you can imagine in another culture where giving birth is all the rage, it might actually happen that rather than there being a warfare of why, why can't we all be like the men, that it becomes the opposite. Why can't we all be like the women? Um, it just so happens that socially, culturally, we favor certain things. I would also argue on a personal level, just my personal opinion, that men didn't live up to the rules very well. And I would also argue that neither did the women. And that created even more this disparity between us where we're looking at each other instead of as, as equals and, and co-heirs of Christ as competition, um, which, is, which is unhealthy. But I think I might be trying to tackle too many things at once. The real question was, what's the stance there's no stance on masculinity um there's more of what does it mean to be in the image and likeness of god that's for all humanity and then what does it mean specifically to be a man in the image and likeness of god and specifically to be a woman in the image and likeness of god and if i can digress on one last point before i move on because i really like this in the wedding service when we keep on saying bless the bridegroom so-and-so, and then depending on which translation your church uses, and his helper so-and-so. Um, I used to be really bothered by the word helper. Um, like it made it sound to me like like an elf, like she's Santa's little helper. Um, and, and I was like, yeah, man, that, that kind of sucks. Um, until I realized that it's um, voithos is the Greek, which is actually... Um, a title of Christ, <laughs> right? If you pay attention to the Psalms during Holy Week, my helper and my salvation is in God, right? That, are, that, that the woman is given a title of God, right? To match the bridegroom, which is a title of God, right? And so that's why like, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when practiced properly. 
Um, I think that the real issue, what really leads to this question is probably not seeing people live their, their roles rightly. Um, and then that causes us to question. Um, my parents say, if you really want something and God allows it, then it will happen. I was also told that God doesn't dictate one's action. Does God interfere? Um, that warrants its own talk on grace, um, to be honest, because it's not about if I want something and God allows it. Um, I might really want something and ask God for it. That doesn't mean that God will do it. Right. Um, and it's not because he's flipping a dice on it, right? Is that God who actually knows us and knows what is right and good for us, right? That's a big factor. The other factor that I think that people really forget to not, because this is a nation of God's grace talk as well as the God's will talk. Um, and so I'm just taking tiny pieces of, of both, but they both need their full conversation. So I'm just giving highlights. Have you ever thought about, and I, I know I overuse so many examples, but I just like them because they work. Think about if you're applying for a job that 10 other people have applied for. And you're saying, God, please give me this job. What you are also asking in that request is, God, please give me this job and do not give it to the other 10. Right? You don't view it that way and you don't mean it maliciously, but that is what you're saying. Right? In saying that I want it, you're also saying, choose me, don't choose them. Now, what if you're not the most qualified? What if there's somebody in there that needs it far more than you with their life situation, right? There's a million what ifs that are there um, that could easily disqualify you from being the right person to get it. I'm not saying don't ask, right? But I'm just saying that when we view it as I asked for this and I didn't get it, I asked for this and didn't get it, we're like, but we're all his kids. Like all of us are his kids, whether baptized or not. God cares about every single human being, right? That's why Christ himself said, do I not cause rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous? Right? Like it's not even like I'm, I'm supplying the earth with food and water only for team me. I'm, I'm providing for everyone. Like for all of my kids, whether they like me or not, I care about all of them. Right? Um, but the reason why I'm bringing up grace is that the normal way of humanity is free will, right? The normal way of functioning is that every decision has a consequence, everyone's. And what we don't always appreciate is that our free will doesn't affect just ourselves, but it also affects others, right? So for example, let's say I'm applying for a job and the guy that I'm applying to is racist, for example, to tie with previous questions, I might not get the job because of his racism. That's not because of God, right? Because I can't say, oh God, how did you allow this racist person to exist? He's allowing me, a judgmental jerk, to exist, right? Like, like he's allowing me to exist still, and I'm not like a cup of tea myself, right? But God really does respect free will. And free will has to have consequences, even ones that we don't like. Having said that, to answer the second part, does God interfere? Sometimes, yes. Right? 
All I'm not trying to say is when and how he does it. I, I can't speak for him. Um, and, and many saints have asked the same question of God, um, being like, how come and when, etc. Um, all I can say with definitive authority is that when God interferes, it is always the best thing for everyone, not just the person asking. Right, he does not hurt his kids on behalf of other people. Right, everything will always be the best for everyone, and everything he does will be fair if God is who we say. Right, he, he is, is he's not gonna. There's no conflict of justice in him. Um, someone message saying John fifteen seven and how it relates. So let me. I assume this is whatever you ask in my name, but let me check. Um, okay, I got a nod. Um, now this is. One of, uh, I think, a misused verse, even though I love this verse, um, because I think people have reduced the whatever you ask in my name to a formula. And that's why so many people will end their prayers with, in Jesus' name, I ask this, amen. Um, because it's like, okay, I asked in Jesus' name, and they're waiting for the magic to happen. And as we've all tried, and I've tried it, it didn't work. Um, and then we try and hyper explain, maybe it didn't work cause you did it wrong. Right. And it's like, it's like rubbing the genie's lamp and it's like, maybe it's the wrong temperature. Um, and then we get all confused. Um, my interpretation of this, I mean, the Bible study that I was doing on John ended at 12, but I, I hope to eventually come back to it. Um, is the whole context of this farewell discourse where that verse comes from is about being fully in Christ. And if I'm fully in Christ and asking in Christ's name, then yes, I can confidently say, Lord, do this, and he will. Um, and I've met saints who, who do that. Um, and it's mind-blowing to me. Even um, I asked somebody who's very close to Pope Krolus um, a question about the story of St. Pope Krolus, his first miracle, um, when he was um, a Bunamina. Actually, he might not even have been a Bunamina yet. I can't remember. I think he was. Um, where the donkey disappeared. And one of the monks was tripping and he's flipping out. Um, and then a Bunamina comes and says, Abuna, don't worry. Like, may, may, maybe it's lost and one of the Bedouin will bring it back. Um, and if not, I'll pay for it myself. So I asked this person, did a Bunamina know the Bedouins were bringing it, like, was that the miracle? Or was it that heaven responded to Bunamina saying, maybe the Bedouin will bring it? And for whatever it's worth, he calmly said, heaven responded to Bunamina in that case. There's times where Bunamina had the, the, the clairvoyance and knew, but this was him being in Christ and asking in Christ and in Christ's name, right? And so it's almost like, if I can really dumb down this as an analogy and forgive me, it's, it's a crappy analogy, but um, if you really are part of your family, if you really, 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 really believe in your family, could you in your family's name ask your parents to get divorced? Could you in your family's name say, let's take all of our family saving and buy a swimming pool? 
So, and it would be like, but then how are we going to live month to month? Right. And so I'm using that. It's, it's not a great example, but I think it, it demonstrates the point of saying that we don't always know that what we're asking in his name with good, with good intention isn't in his name. Right. And that's why I think we don't get those responses for those. Um, and that's why I think in that same farewell discourse, he goes, you ask, but you don't often know what you ought to ask. Right. And so he talks about the Holy Spirit as being the teacher of what to ask and how to ask, and then to even groan with and for you on your behalf, translating um, the prayers. Um, thank you very much for actually tying it um, to that uh, verse. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, when it says that the son emptied himself and did not consider equality a thing to be had with the father, um, I don't think it says a thing to be had. Um, but I actually like um, a particular translation of it. Um, I'm trying to remember what the KJV has, but that's not the one um, that I'm thinking of. Um, most of them, I, if I'm not mistaken, most translations say um, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Um, the one that I, I like, that I favor is who consider his equality with God a thing not to be exploited, I think captures deeply the meaning of it. I was saying that his equality with God, his being God, did not cause the son to exploit it and lord it over us. And instead of, quote unquote, flaunting the position, instead emptied himself of his actual dignity of his actual rule and made himself us, the form of slave. Um, it's not actually saying um, uh, that he did not consider quality of God a thing to be had. It was saying that a thing not to be exploited. Um, and that, that's why it's one of the, it might be one of the most um, beautiful um, passages in the Bible. Um, uh, when, how can we fix the issue of lack of discipline or seriousness? For example, sinning and the very next moment praising God, almost desensitized. Where to start? Um, what is that? It's not necessarily weird that you sin and then praise God. It just depends on, on your tone when you do it. Um, because you might be being indifferent, right? You might be. Um, others might not be. But... Um, St. Anthony the Great, the best saint, said, he who knows himself knows God. Um, and that is a teaching that can last a lifetime um, of, of unpacking um, and pursuing. I will highlight one aspect of it that I think re relates to this question of how, how can we fix it, where to start. It's to start off, if you're gonna know yourself, what does it mean to be son? Because you're a son or a daughter. What does it mean to be royalty? Because you are royalty, right? Even if you speak of son or daughter, 
son and daughter to whom? Right? And suddenly you're going to also be thinking of the other. You'll know God in another aspect, in another respect. Right? Now, who am I? I'm a created being. If I'm a created being, this is part of who know myself, how do I properly function? Right? These are all starting points because all of those might help you take things more seriously. Right? Think about like if you train to be a physician and you sit there and you don't see patients all day, or when you see them, you randomly make things up. You're going to be held accountable based on who you are as physician. Right? And so the who am I part can help you get there. And that will help you become, I think, maybe more disciplined and more serious of saying, oh, well, then how do I be that well? Right? Another aspect is the positive, which is when things start to go well, like I like in confessions pointing out to people sometimes through their sin, the positive, whether a present one or a past one. I was talking to somebody um, who at, like near the beginning of, of their conversation was talking about how they have this hot period and they were praying like crazy and reading the Bible and that they're on cloud nine. And this is a person who never thought they would enjoy the Bible or not. And then later on in their confession was like, but I have been negligent in my Bible prayer, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so I paused to be like, I just want to point out, I'm not pointing out how like the sin. Note that you earlier talked about how much you loved when you were. Right. And you talked about this new experience of God that you had when you were. Right. Is that that has made you feel the negligence was that you experienced the positive. Right. Is that now you're like, oh, man, I liked it. I want it back. I feel badly that I am not. Right. So part of also it will help you have less indifference or more discipline is seeing the positive consequence of holiness. Right. That is that is real. That's not theoretical. Um, so it's, it's this double sided thing. How do I enjoy health better by being healthy? Sometimes my disease also makes me appreciate health more because I miss health. Right. Or being like, I miss when I could insert the good thing. Right. Um, on a very practical, normal level, I mean, obviously, it's something to talk to your father confession about you specifically. Right. Because there might be something that's so you specific that you can get tips on. Um, but I'm really big. I hate schedules with all my heart, but I'm very big on encouraging people who have had no discipline to put in some skeleton of a schedule. It doesn't need to be to the T. It doesn't need to be every waking hour, but it can be, how do I make sure that I have made time for these really important things? Because once you've lost discipline, you've lost it. You need to work on constancy again, right? And so constancy needs structure, right? Of being like, okay, how do I make sure I do this every X interval? How do I make sure I do this? Um, maybe I need people to help me be accountable, right? There's a bunch of ways you can do on it. But I say at the very least, start with choosing with the advice of your father confession, something stable and doable that you can do consistently. It doesn't need to be a huge amount. If it's like, I'm going to make sure that every day, no matter what, I read the Bible and say a certain amount of prayer or a certain time of prayer, whatever, whatever you, you discuss. And just stick with it for a bit. And you might be surprised at how much you'll get even from that. But that discipline will translate. 
I recommend that you tie a discipline to something that you already do regularly. Um, if you haven't been used to being disciplined. Um, so for example, like everybody eats. So if you tie something to right before or right after eating, it's more likely you're going to do it because that's a stable thing in your life, right? A lot of people, it's before you sleep. The problem is that now people are like, but I end up being too tired. So if that's going to be a thing, then don't tie it to that one. For some people, it might be a workout. So tie it to right before or right after. Um, but to tie it to something that you know you're going to do. Um, the other thing that I'd really recommend is if you're a commuter or a driver, devote a certain number of your trips, um, whether it's always on the way to wherever you're going, on the way back, whether it's X number of days a week, I don't care, where you're only listening to spiritual content during it or only praying during it. Whether it's, a, whether it's a religious podcast, whether it's an audio Bible, an audio ekbeya, spiritual songs, um, sermons, talks, lectures, whatever it is, because your inputs, your sensory inputs can be affected and that also may help bring you more to discipline. Um, and then those things become a source of, 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 of guidance. And then you also find out what affects you more than other things, right? Which is cool to find out. Like you end up developing a language of like, yeah, when I'm in this funk, you know what, like the lecture is not going to help me give me spiritual songs. For another person, it's no, during this period, I know what I need. I need a good book and a hot cocoa and I'll be in my zone and I'm fine. Um, for another one, it's like, no, I need to get out of myself. I need to do insert whatever. Um, all of those become ways to find out. Um, which I think kind of addresses, I think, the laziness and procrastination part. Um, if not, feel free to follow up. Um, St. Anthony, the greatest saint in history, did not anticipate reward for hardship and calamity since his life belonged to the Lord. Neither was he waiting an end for tribulations and trials since he did not seek his own comfort. How do we attain this level of trust? I like that question. Um, being Anthony. Um, obviously, it doesn't come in a day and a night. And if you look at St. Anthony, St. Anthony was with the Lord from his childhood, um, which I think most of us were, like, to be honest, I think most people were with the Lord from childhood um, and sometimes walk away from. But I think it comes back to his teaching, I think, on, on knowing yourself, because it just, it just doesn't become a matter of choice at that point. Right? Like, I don't have a choice about being my dad's son. I don't have a choice about being my mom's son. That's just who I am. Right? It's, it's my actual identity. Like it, don't like it. It's irrelevant. It's, 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 it is who I am. Um, because then, if you do this, if you start to get to know God as Anthony knew God, it's impossible not to like him. Like, it's, it's just impossible, right? And when you like somebody and then hopefully love them, right, you're not looking for reward. Like, I, and we talked about this Dorotheos to, to some extent, but it's like, imagine how you would feel, just you as a human, forget God for a second. If your closest friends 
let's say you had some tragedy, someone you love passed away, or you got in a car accident and you're crippled, said, I only came to the hospital because I feared you'd be angry if I didn't. Right? Like, most of us would be like, then please leave. But if you don't want to be here, then go. Right? Or imagine if you felt like they only came to the hospital so that you'd owe them one. How'd you feel? Right? I'm just saying that even our human relationships, we're doing stuff for each other, not for the reward. Like that's not a foreign concept to us as humans. We already do it, right? Think about the people you care about the most. How many of you have used the expression, I'd give an arm and a leg for that guy. I'd bite a bullet for that person, right? We, we, we know what it's like to have that. So then the question becomes, what is it about those people that we're willing to do that for? And then that will answer your question, how do I do that with God? is that you probably just don't view God in that way. And so as you learn more about him, I think it's inevitable that you will learn to see him in that way. This is why even um, like there's one monk who said, Lord, if you want me to go to hell, I'll go there because of how much I love you. Right? Like, that seems so messed up, right? But his point, right? His point was to say, I only want what you want. And I know that you couldn't want anything that's not good for me. So even if you want me to go there, even if I can't even possibly as a human fathom it, then that, that's from you, I'll do it, right? Because they, they know him, they know how good um, he is, right? Um, and so, like, it's, it's, it's that you need to discover him. Um, whether you start with knowing God, you'll know yourself, or knowing yourself and knowing God, it's got to start somewhere. Um, why is incest wrong when during Leviticus, uh, but it was not immoral uh, during Adam and Eve? I mean, um, I was talking about this with some of the youth, actually, a couple of weeks ago. Honestly, I don't have an answer for that. Like, Populating the earth had to start somewhere. Um, and I was saying to the person, that's not just a Christian problem, that's an atheist problem, right? Because no matter what you look at as human origins, you're going to end up somewhere along the tree with incest. So um, unless you believe in the spontaneous birthing of random people without using meiosis, um, which is miraculous, um, then you're going to have to get to the incest part at some point, um, inevitably. So, um, honestly, I don't have an answer. I don't know that it's about, about like, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to it. I just don't want to unpack it about what does it mean for something to be immoral? Was it a moral absolute is its own question. Um, who decided on that moral absolute and when? Um, is the issue that the act is wrong or is the issue about the disease that comes from it? I mean, as I'm saying, like, we presume to have answers to all those questions leading up to it. So when I say I don't know, I, I really mean I don't know the answer to all those questions personally.
um, I could I could research it and and come with an opinion, um, but I don't have an absolute answer to that. It's not a it's not a bad question. I just I don't know the um, the full intrinsic intricate details of it. Should speaking in tongues not be used anymore? I've heard that it's not used because it doesn't need to be in our day. However, unsure if it's consistent. Um, I'm weary of anyone deciding anyone deciding when a gift is allowed or not. Um, I do understand the argument about gift of tongue as a whole is not as necessary anymore. I think there's something to that. Like gifts do have an association with need. I think maybe the part that I'm being critical about is deciding what the need is. Um, because there have been people who have had to speak in tongues in our own time. Um, there's a famous monk, Buna Tedros Elantoni, God Repose His Soul, um, where he appeared to a woman in France while he was alive. Um, and he died in the 90s. Um, so this is pre-cell phone, pre-live streaming, like the woman's never seen him in his life, in her life. She's not even Orthodox. Um, and he appeared to her and spoke to her. So she ended up, she asked him who he was. He, so he told her. Um, she came to the monastery of St. Anthony in the Red Sea, the best monastery, and um, asked to see Ibn Tedros, who's this simple, like, fool for Christ. Um, and so they were like, you can't, like, it makes no sense. He doesn't speak French. So we can ask him to meet you, but you'll need a translator. And she was like, I don't want a translator. He's like, well, then you're not going to understand each other. Um, and so he, she was like, no, he will. And it's personal. I don't want anybody to be there. So they, they sent for Buna Tedros, who's persistent, thinking that Buna Tedros, who usually would decline anything like that, um, was going to say no. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll meet her in church. Um, so they went and met in the church, and they spent hours in there. And the woman came out on cloud nine. And they asked her, like, how are you so happy? The guy doesn't speak French. And he's like, I know what he's speaking, but I heard French. Um, and so she had a full conversation with him in French. Um, even, I mean, St. Anthony appeared to a group of Celtic Orthodox monks that visited St. Anthony's as well. And he spoke to them in English. Right? So there can be a need. Um, there can be a need. On the global scale, right? On the global scale, yeah, I get the argument um, that that it's not a it's not necessarily a thing, um, but it's it's not that the Holy Spirit can't um, do it anymore, or that or that the Holy Spirit never does. Um, uh, a plea from the heart, Abuna. Why aren't things smooth? Why can't things be easy? I'm tired. I feel like my fatigue shows that I am apart from God. How can I know? Why won't he answer me? Um, I feel for you. Um, I, I have had those feelings myself before. Um, like, like those are, those are real and they hurt. Um, and I would suggest to whoever it is, is anonymous, obviously, like sit down and have a real heart to heart with your spiritual father. Um, and let out, everything even the things that you might not want to say um because most often we suffer these things when we have desires that we are pursuing that we are we know are wrong and we don't want to stop and that are causing chaos in our lives um because this doesn't usually come from forgive me the minor sins 
right? We don't usually feel this way when we like accidentally cussed or took the Lord's name in vain. Um, we should, like, but we don't. This usually comes from the the big things, quote unquote. And I mean that in a social way, not in a theological way. Um, and when that happens, we get very ill. And when we're very ill, we both want health and don't. When we're ill, we have an idea of wanting health, but not a reality of wanting health. Um, and we become very divided. No man can serve two gods, God and mammon. It's impossible. He will either serve the one and despise the other or vice versa. We can't. Um, and so most often these feelings come from a divided heart because things actually tend to go smoothly when we're not divided. Smoothly is dif different from not having difficulty, not having trials, not having pain, but it's not hard to choose right when we really believe in right, right? It's not hard for an athlete to choose to train when they really believe in being an athlete, right? An Olympian doesn't get stuck, right? Even though they might have a desire to socialize and stay up in spite of training being at 4 a.m., they'll still find it easy to choose right overall, even if they struggle with their desires. Um, so I would suggest getting that diagnosed um, so that you can find some relief. And also before even obviously a spiritual father, throw it at God in prayer, but with honesty, right? Because it's one thing to throw yourself at the physician to give symptoms and another thing to ask to be healed. Justification being made right can be painful, right? And so we have to decide if we, if we want it. If you break your arm, setting the bone hurts, but it heals, right? And the healing that comes from it brings you strength, ability, and all sorts of things that come with it. Um, at night, there may be weeping, but in the morning, joy. Um, I feel heartless sometimes. Um, is experiencing God in a supernatural way something which can be expected in prayer? Yes, it is. Um, demanded, no. Something that can be expected, yes. Yes. Um, what might be wrong is your expectation and frequency, how often, in what way, at what time, etc. Those are all possible. Um, I actually, it's funny, like, I brought this up with somebody today who had their first experience and it was beautiful, like the person was weeping, um, describing the, like, the person's first time hearing God speak back. Whereas like, I, just, I don't know how to describe it. Like I, I knew it was God. Um, and this person never thought they were somebody that would hear from God. Um, and their, their joy is like infectious and overwhelming for them. Right. And that was their first time having tears of joy about spiritual life and not just, man, I suck. I'm so dirty. I'm so bad. Right. But having a positive. So, yes, um, you can. It's not wrong to expect it. Um, God is supernatural. So when he react, when he responds, it's always supernatural, even if he also sometimes uses the natural as well. Right. That the two are not conflicting. God, by nature, is not material. So his, his, his every part of everything is immaterial, which might have a material element added to it. Um, actually, I mean, that's its own talk. I think 
because people don't expect it and because I, I will be very judgmental, contrary to the talk we'll have next week about judgment, um, that I think there's a wave of thought in our modern contemporary Christian culture to be very anti-supernatural events. Um, sometimes I think even hostile towards supernatural events that we're always trying to justify and rationalize why we don't experience it often and almost bring it to a level where we shouldn't. But I don't think that that's consistent with God. Right? Christ himself could have said, my body and blood suffice you. But he did miracles. He not only did miracles, he told the disciples who would also administer his body and blood, you will do these and greater. Right? So there's nothing alarming or shocking about supernatural. It requires a great level of discernment, like no doubt. Um, because whenever God speaks, you can be sure that the devil will try and counterfeit speech too. Right? If God speaks to you, for example, through a Bible verse, if God speaks to you audibly, right? Either one, the devil might be like, Oh, you like that? I can do that. I'm on it, right? And then give you 10 Bible verses, right? But all I'm trying to say is that that doesn't cancel out the one that was from God, right? That the one from God was real and true and beautiful. Um, and that God speaks to us in languages that we can understand. Which, sorry if I can tie this to the question about discipline and how do I get it, is saying, how do you want God to respond to you if you're never talking to him? Right? If you have no doors open with God, how does God respond back to you? Right? And when you realize that God can respond, that might help you get discipline. Not just can, does respond. That might also help you towards discipline of saying, because it's so nice. Right? That that might be um, the source of you getting some answers. So, yes, it can be expected. And just, it might not even be the way that you expect. It could be a voice an internal one or an external one. It could be an immeasurable amount of peace, a peace that you know is not yours, right? A peace that defies understanding. It could be overwhelming joy, right? It could be an, a, a, a transmission of just knowledge, a, a speaking by, by, by his saying without saying, right? It's just, you know it becomes knowledge, right? Noetic um, experience. Um, it can be. Um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to reduce God. It can be so many things, right? This might be another reason for you to consider a discipline of spiritual reading of people's experiences of prayer, for example, and how they learned to excel in prayer. Um, there's some great ones. One of the great ones is this art of prayer um, for those who are interested. But that, again, becomes a reason if you want to experience that of saying, well, what's wrong with my prayer? Let's find out, right? And then go read about it, listen to talks about it. I really, really, really recommend reading about it. Um, if you read more in general, Bible, spiritual books, you'll have much more to your prayer life. And you're more likely to understand that and, and possibly hear back from God 
um, because you'll, you'll know how to communicate better. In the same way, for example, that if I know nothing of the person I'm talking to, let's say um, I'm talking to somebody who's, who likes hidu, likes calmness, and I come in and be like, yo, Abuna, and I start giving him a noogie, right? Like, and expect him to be like, yo, yo, my man. Like, no, he's not going to, right? And so I'm not going to get a reaction that I expected from him because I'm trying to make him be like me. I don't like movies, but hypothetically. Um, but let's say I don't know how to know Abuna, then I might ask other people um, and be like, hey, like, I went in for a noogie with Abuna and he looked so uncomfortable. Is that not a thing here? Like, no, our Abuna is not big on that. Um, okay, well, what's he like? Um, where you might end up finding out through others. Now, how does that look like in spiritual life? That could be from servants, from priests, from books, spiritual talks. It can be from spiritual books. Um, like there's, there's, there's a bunch of ways. But then as you learn more about somebody, you can go in deeper, right? My spiritual father, for example, I've, I, I've used this a bunch of times even on the Wednesday meeting. Um, but I've known him for a long time now, right? A very long time. One time I was taken aback when I saw somebody talking to him about something and joking about it. And I never knew Abuna was interested in that. And it's something that I'm interested in too. That if I knew about, I would have talked about. Right? And so I was just like, I didn't know that that's something he's into. Right? And so I, I got excited. Right? And I'm like, okay, Abuna, now that I know that you like, uh, you're into this, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Suddenly, this knowledge gave intellect to my conversation. Right? So the same thing about our reading, about spirituality, is that if you want these results, you need to know more. Because then when you're talking to God with more about who God is, you're now talking more and more to a real person with real personality, with real characteristics, a real being. And then you're giving more room for the response or at least recognizing responses. Because for all you know, God has been responding and you had no idea. Right? Uh, again, minor example, and I'm sorry I talk so much. Imagine um, like you're talking to somebody and you're like, and the person just goes, hmm, that hmm can mean so much. Disinterest, annoyance, deep thought, happiness, approval, disgust, all of those are possible. So which one is it? If you don't know the person, you might not even know. So imagine you're talking to somebody else and be like, I don't know, I talked to Buna and all I got it from was, hmm, and that other person knows, they might be like, oh, that's not good, right? Or it might be like, a, okay, he's thinking about it. He's not ready to say anything yet, right? So my point is that God, for all you know, may have been responding to you and you didn't know, right? Or you didn't know how to interpret, right? So it might not even be just, can I expect it? He might already, right? He might already, and you just didn't even know. Um, and he might be speaking in a lot of ways, but you don't know him yet. He who knows himself knows God. He who knows God knows himself. Um, last one that's in here. I'm struggling to say hadr in the service. Um, of saying okay in the service without harboring resentment internally. What steps can I take to correct this? Um, I feel you. Um, the struggles of everyone's warfares are going to match their lifestyles, right? The struggles of marriage bring out certain things, the struggles of monasticism, the struggles of service have their own. Um, in service, it can be, be hard to say hazard, especially if you don't feel understood, 
if you feel there's a provision, if there's contention, if there is territorialism, if there is um, a lot of anger, if there's a lot of injustice, like there's so many reasons, like there's so many external reasons that can be causing it. And there can be internal reasons, which are always there, no matter what, even if there's external ones, which always will revolve around the ego, whether we like it or not. The way to get out of this is to first and foremost say, it's the Lord's vineyard, not mine. And who God chooses to hire is up to God. So if God has hired these people to do a task, if I owe them obedience, then I owe them obedience. Right? That doesn't mean that they were chosen because everything they're doing is right. It doesn't mean you need to pretend that you agree with them. Saying Hadr does not have as a prerequisite your actual agreement, whether in concept or in reality. It's not asking for that. Right? I don't I don't have to say when I say Hadr mean, yeah, I actually think it's the best idea. It's just that I have to do it. Right? If they're in that position of authority. With the exception of, I would say two things. One is an absolute, the other one is relative. The absolute is if what they're asking is objectively gospel wrong, then it's a no, right? With no shame, doctrinally or morally. If you're asked to lie, no, you will not lie, right? If you're asked to deceive or manipulate, no, you will not, right? But if it's, we are going to structure it this way and I think it's the dumbest idea in the world, no, we say hush. And it might be, by the way, the dumbest idea in the world. Right? Like, I'm not even suggesting you're wrong. But you might be wrong. And without the Hadr, you won't even, you won't even know that. And with the Hadr, God can work a lot of good. Um, but I digress for a second. Because the other one, the second one, is an issue of conscience, which you have to be, I think, transparent with your spiritual director about to have challenge first. Because I think all of us can overuse the conscience card. Right, where it might be, no, I really feel that this is wrong. It might not be absolutely wrong, but I can't do this. I can't participate in this. It's too damaging or too hurtful or too this or too that. Um, that can be a real thing. I acknowledge that. Um, and so if, if it's an issue of conscience, I would have an outsider examine my conscience with me to make sure that I'm not actually just annoyed that I'm not getting my way. Um, or... Um, Sometimes it's because people in the service are in a fight. I want to take a side of the person that I think is right. And so I end up wanting to, in solidarity, not participate when that might be wrong. Right? So in the subjective one, definitely, and all cases get guidance, but especially in the subjective cases, I would say ask um, and expose yourself before others. Um, before jumping in. The beauty of the Hadr, again, is that God can work good through any mistake, right? And if we're waiting for every decision made in the service to be the best one, you will wait forever. There will always be a better idea, right? There will always be a better way of doing something. 
but I hope in the service that we're all going in with the belief that everybody's there out of their own goodwill. I mean, service is volunteer work at the end of the day. No one, no one, no one has to serve, right? No one is, no one is, is forced physically to give up their time for others. So if I believe that at the best of others, it'll be easier to say hazard and not have my way. Um, my home church, we had the dumbest ideas in the world when we first started up our youth service. There are things that we did that I, there's no way on earth I today would say yes to. Like, I'd be like, are you Like, are you guys psychotic? Absolutely not. Um, and it was like, it was miraculous. <laughs> like, like what it did was incredible, right? Is that God was working in spite of us. If we knew it was متخلف and did it anyway, that's its own problem, right? Like nobody was, was maliciously being psycho. Um, we just were psycho. Um, but is that God can work through it with people's goodwill, right? With people's goodwill, with their love, with their sacrifice. And so that's the most important thing. The spirit of Hadza is the most important part of it. And I also think the positive, you will be taken much more seriously when you're the person who usually says Hadza. The person who's usually not combative, when that person speaks, they tend to be taken more seriously, right? Where it'll just be like, okay, they're speaking. They don't usually. What's up? Right? Or they, they always say yes and they never argue back. If they're arguing back, they're seeing something. Right? And so suddenly they'll, they'll be heard. You'll be heard more. Right? The other thing is that there's nothing wrong with starting with the hadir, semicolon, and then ask your question. That has a way sometimes of calling people down. Right? Of saying, as you will, I will do. I will. There's not a however. There's not a, um, this is not a conditional hadir. May I also ask a question? Because I have concerns. If this is what you'd like me to do, I will do it. What I am concerned about is that if we go ahead with doing it this way, I am concerned that it may have such and such outcome that I that obviously we are all worried about. I just want to make sure it's seen and is being addressed. Because all of us at Bina Al Khidmah, all of us our hearts are on the service, right? And so your hazard does not also mean zero discussion. I'm just saying that hazard needs to be there whether there is discussion or not, but that it doesn't mean that it can't also be followed by discussion, right? And especially because you said in the service, use the mechanisms in service to discuss whatever it is that's making it hard for you to say hazard. Because if it's hard for you to say hazard, there's probably something happening, right? There's probably something negative going on. So then you need to ask, what are the mechanisms for it? And if you don't know, ask, right? Raise your hand and say, um, is there a place where we get to give feedback? Does that exist? Right? And I, I mean that nicely. Like, I mean that sarcastically, right? If they say yes at the service meeting, like, okay, when are the service meetings? If it's uh, no only to Abuna, okay. Then don't get mad at me if I go to Abuna, if that's where the like is coming from, right? If it's no, just not at all, then okay, good to at least know and be straightforward about it. Now I know that there's no room for feedback, 
Now, in a, situ in a situation like that, if there's no room for feedback, I'm just using that as the extreme example, then yeah, matters of conscience are likely to come up more. There's no denying that, right? If you're in a system where, where you are not allowed to speak whatsoever, matters of conscience may come up more, in which case I'd say you more than others really need to lean on spiritual guidance more than the normal, right? Everybody needs spiritual guidance, but if you're in that situation, you will need it more because you're in a situation that's going to bring out your own vices and moods and emotions more because you're not in a normal situation, right? Whereas if you're the person starting to say hazard because you just always want your way, what you need is exercises and fasting from getting your way. And it looks like the service might be the best one for you. <laughs> um, because if, if service is where you want your way, best thing to do is not get your way in service, right? Where if, if you were <clears throat> someone coming to me confession, I say, don't offer your opinion at the next five meetings, not because you're not supposed to have one, but because you specifically struggle with having your way, right? Because service meeting usually is where you should give your opinion. But because you overstate your opinion, then I might say, then don't for the next five meetings. And after that, speak last. Right? Or do not open your mouth at, at it until they ask you, hey, what's your opinion? Right? So again, it depends on what's the root cause um, of the not saying hadra. I hope I've covered most bases um, overall. I think that was it for the questions um, on this one. Um, are there any on the online? No, no there is not. All right. Um, Thank you so much, guys. Uh, next week, God willing, is the chapter on judgment um, from Dorotheos. Um, I hate and love that chapter. Um, and the one after self-accusation, those two chapters really matter for spiritual life. Really, really, really matter for spiritual life. They have far-reaching effects. Um, judgment is often the reason why any of you, and myself especially, fall into sin. Um, it's the reason why we sometimes don't feel God's grace. Like one of the questions today about things not being smooth. Many times judgment has been a source of that. So I'm just pulling a plug that the next two are a big deal. Um, so even if you can't uh, attend in real time uh, to look for that. Um, for those of you who haven't bought and read the book, please like pick it up. Uh, the Dorotheus of Gaza discourse is insane. All right, we will end in prayer. Um, thanks again, guys. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, make us ready to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, the blessing, and the might forever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, grace, and the God, Son, the communion, get to us, we do all go in peace. The peace, Lord, be with you all.